Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, I'll be answering questions about coping with aging, dealing with a spouse's out-of-control frenemy, and explaining a little medicinal drug use to in-laws. And to help me answer these questions, I'll be joined by Tanya Mosley. Tanya is a contributing host to Fresh Air with Terry Gross, one of the world's most listened-to podcasts and radio programs. She's also the creator and host of the 2022 Webby Award-winning podcast, Truth Be Told. Previously, Tanya was the co-host of NPR's midday program, Here and Now. She's also served as a television anchor, producer, and correspondent. She's won several awards for her groundbreaking journalism, including a 2016 Emmy for her PBS series, Beyond Ferguson, and an NABJ and RTDNA award for best series, Black in Seattle. So on recent episodes, I've shared a few tweets from my guests to help you get to know them. But since Tanya is too professional to really say much on Twitter, and you would be too if you had all her accomplishments, and she's actually my friend, I'm just going to share three things that I personally know about her. One, she sees the good in everybody. She truly believes everyone has something to offer. It's actually kind of infuriating because she's useless when it comes to mean-spirited gossip between friends. But it's sincere. It's obviously a good thing. If she doesn't like you, you need to reevaluate your life. Number two, she has a 10-year-old son who is a stand-up comedian, and he absolutely destroys everyone in the family with his jokes on stage. And number three, she's heavily into the woo-woo side of things. I think one of our early hangouts was making vision boards about our hopes for the new year. Um, She once gave me the gift of an hour-long psychic reading. And she recently went to Jamaica to use magic mushrooms to have a healing experience. That adventure is discussed in detail in the new season of her podcast, Truth Be Told. Anyway, I'm hoping we get to talk about friendship, the universe, family, altered states of being, or just how to be a good person. Tanya and I will dive into your questions after a quick break. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Tanya. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Janae. Thank you so much for coming on to help me answer questions today. Oh my gosh, you know, I've been dreaming ever since you announced that you were doing a podcast. I actually manifested this because I said to my husband, I'm going to be on that show one day. This is my dream. It's my dream to have you as a guest too. With that, let's dive right in with our first letter titled, I Know I Will Sound Self-Centered. I 
I know I shouldn't put my worth in how people see me or how many people hit on me, but I do. I had a horrible upbringing where I was called every name in the book by my mother. She would call me fat, a slut, say I'm ugly and that she's embarrassed by me. Anytime I had a boyfriend, she would lead me to believe that he secretly wanted my best friend, leading me to have some seriously fucked up trust issues. And there was the physical abuse as well during the insults. So when I turned into an adult and had men tripping over me, I gained some esteem and believed that I'm actually pretty. Now that men my age look at the younger women and chase them around, I am back to feeling kind of worthless. I've tried counseling, but it hasn't really worked for me. It felt like they were really hung up on how I was treated by my mother, and it felt like I had to tell them that it's okay, I'm over it. Like I had to make them feel better. I want to age with grace and not care about the attention or lack of, but I'm starting to get depressed here. How do I go about building myself up without the dozens of compliments I used to get daily? I had kind of a quick fix. If I only had five seconds to answer this in a superficial way, I would say start hanging out with a group of people about 15 to 20 years older. They'll still think you look great. You'll be getting all (laughs) kinds of compliments from the older men. Or start posting selfies on social media Instagram in particular, um, you'll get a million fire emojis, thumbs up, your friend from middle school, your third cousin telling you you look absolutely (laughs) beautiful, and it'll be like a quick confidence hit. But um, on a more serious note, the letter said, I know I will sound self-centered, and I disagree. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you sound like a woman who's been through a lot, and... In addition to that, like a woman who just lives in the world and is dealing with things that are really, really familiar, I think mourning the loss of attention and the loss of being seen as beautiful is not a character flaw, and it's not an individual thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's why we're always having conversations around women having too much work done and too much plastic surgery and looking pathetic um, and this desperate attempt to look younger. I think it's a really normal reaction to mm-hmm. living in a society that makes you feel like your worth comes from the way you look. And, and you know, of course you'd want to hold on to that. So as a first step, I just say, don't beat yourself up over this. I know it's not a full solution, but I hope that you can realize that this isn't just your problem and have some empathy for yourself. What do you think, Tanya? Oh my gosh. So I agree with all of this advice and actually your advice about getting older friends. This is, this is really wise advice. First off, I want to say, I'm sorry about the childhood you experienced with your mother and those wounds stay with us all of our lives, but there are ways to heal or to manage it or to see yourself outside of the way that your mother did and the, what you experienced with her. And I'll get to that in just a moment. I want to say first though, welcome to middle age. And mm. to a certain extent, we are all here. I think we lost we lost a few years during the pandemic. She's 42, I'm mm-hmm. 45. So it's like, we went into the pandemic one way and then we came out and it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like I'm now totally. squarely in middle age. And I feel it the most when I'm out with my daughter who is 16 because I see the attention that she receives from men and from just people in general. Like people treat younger Mm -hmm. people nicer, even in the store, Mm -hmm. they treat her nicer. But with that, I can see, oh my gosh, I don't want her to have her her, uh, worth held up in the way that other people see her. I feel that so strongly. And I felt that the other, a few weeks ago when we were out and I saw this man looking at her, I was like, you know what? 
we're going to have a conversation about self-worth in this way where you're not dependent on the male gaze to feel good about yourself. So with that, there are some things that I think this letter writer can do. Number one, as you said, older friends. My good friend, Farai Chidea, always says you should have friends who are 10, 20, 30 years older. She has regular mm -hmm. conversations weekly with her 70-year-old friends. They put things in perspective for you, too, not just because they think you look great, but you will see a version of a woman who has grown old gracefully and is living life, and that can give you a sense of what's to come. And I also think this letter writer should consider being a mentor to younger people. And this mm. has been helpful to me too, because, you know, we look back at our younger years and we only look at the really great things about it. Like we think, okay, I was skinnier than I thought I was. I was more beautiful than I thought I was. But actually, you know, there's a lot that you were filled with anxiety. You were not sure about the future. You actually didn't think you looked that great. And so when you have mentees that you are talking to and you're helping them and you're just listening to their lives, it puts where you are in perspective and you feel pretty good about where you are. At least I feel that way. Like yeah. that I've lived some life that I can offer experience and also put that time in context. And then counseling, she should continue with it. You know, it's it's cumulative. It's something that you'll be working mm -hmm. on for the rest of your life, but it's not some magic bullet where you're going to take a pill and then you're like, okay, I went to a few sessions. I'm fine now. Continue to do that work right. because it's important. I love what you said about mentoring. And I think that could be important, not just because you look back at younger people and think, oh man, I don't want to be there anymore. I'm mm -hmm. glad I'm older. I think it's because I was trying to come up with ways for this letter writer to identify what feelings she's getting or she mm -hmm. used to get from attention from men and from turning heads and from all the compliments and try to figure out a different way to get those feelings. Yep. So those feelings are important, valuable, a worthwhile use of space. And I think there's different roads to get there other than being physically beautiful. And being in a mentoring or caretaking role is another way to feel really important. Yep. And feel like um, you're worth the room you take up in any given space and yep. that it's a pleasure to see you. Um, it takes a little more work because it relies on your personality and your character and what you bring emotionally. But I think it can lead you to that same space of feeling worthy and important, just like you used to when, you know, heads would turn when you'd walk into a room. Yeah, absolutely. And it also, because you know me, Janae, I'm really woo-woo. It also is in many ways mm -hmm. healing your younger self, like your younger child. What you didn't receive from your mother, you can kind of give back to a younger person who is looking at their future or in a particular moment and trying to work through being a young person. Absolutely. Um, I actually read a piece that touched on a lot of these issues just recently. It's by Joanna Schroeder. Um, she has a substat called Zooming Out, and it's called I'm 45 and I Look My Age. Mm, and cool. in it, she just talks about um, how in the past she was thin and blonde and young, and she worked in these fancy boutiques. Um, and she loved the way she looked, but she also had an admiration for the older women or the middle-aged women who would come in and try on clothes and just mm -hmm. had like a certain confidence about their bodies um, and the way they looked, even though they didn't fit societal expectations. And now that she's 45, she's sort of saying, you know, I'm happy to finally be here. There was mm -hmm. a part of this that I always wanted and I welcome it. So I'll read you a quote. Um, she said, all I ever wanted was to be a woman living in a body that isn't the center of the story. 
but rather one who understands that the body is simply the vessel through which the story has been lived. Mm. So I just wonder if that's something the letter writer could tap into, um, the opportunity that's on the other side of your body and your face being the whole story. Absolutely. You know, there's, I'm not a Buddhist, but I do love some of the principles of Buddhism. And one is like, you know, we think of this idea of reincarnation. And sometimes we think of it as like a literal thing, like, you know, you die, and then you come back as something else, maybe. But another way to look at it is the different phases in life, like now you're able to experience a new experience as this person in this new role as a middle aged person. And there's a lot of wisdom that comes with that. There's a new body that comes with that. There is a new orientation and taking the steps to embrace it. So one other thing, you know, this letter writer can think about is and they may already do this, but to really center yourself in your body through other types of therapy too, like somatic therapy, where you're sitting in your body and you're experiencing your body through activities where you're not so caught up in your head so that you can feel an appreciation for your body and this mm-hmm. new form. Um Taking away the power from the I remember male gaze. thinking all that yeah. stuff was such BS. Like I Me remember too, being younger. But no, I remember younger feeling that too, but I feel it so much now. We went to a trampoline park over the weekend and <laughs> I was in my body. I was happy. I'm like, okay, I'm an old middle-aged lady among these 10-year-old boys, and I don't even care that like uh, all yeah. my jiggly fat is like moving. You know, I'm just in it. I mean, I remember hearing like, oh, you should work out um move your body in a way that feels good. And I was like, what? Move your body in a way that feels good. Like I'm I'm going to go work out so that I can have abs. So yes. that when I wear the dress that clings to my midsection, you can see the abs. That's yep. why I'm working out. Like, what do you mean move my body in a way that feels good? The elliptical mm-hmm. doesn't feel good. Um, now I completely get it. I totally yep. understand like, especially because like, being pregnant, like bad back problems and could barely walk. And I just remember looking at other people going for walks and bike rides and runs thinking, if I can ever get back there, I'm just going to appreciate being able to move for movement's sake, um, not to lose weight and not to change the shape of my body. Mm -hmm. And now I I get it. You know, it feels good to like be out in the fresh air going for a walk or going for a hike. Um, Like your body feels good after you exercise, not because you've changed the way it looks, but just because it feels good. Yes. I don't know how you get there without having an experience that forces you there, you know? But I, again, would just ask the letter writer to just be open to the possibilities that there are other ways of feeling good um, other than, you know, having men like honk their horns at you as you walk down the street. 100%. And it's something that every woman goes through. So maybe there is some comfort in that too. Also knowing that every woman who hits middle age comes to this epiphany. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to the part about being a mother because you mentioned being the mom of a teenager. And I was just struck in this letter by how powerful the mom's really abusive remarks were. And it made me wonder like how powerful positive comments could be too. And whether that's something you think about with your daughter, just the power of like what you say to her about how she looks um, or even content outside how she looks about where her worth comes from. Yeah. You know, um, I tried to do this thing that my mother did for me growing up. And um, 
believe it or not, even though I received all the messages from the world about what my body should be like and internalized all those things, I do think the way that she um, took on talking about my body helped me to move through that. And that one, that is mm-hmm. that she didn't talk about my body. Like she never said, mm. you look skinny or that looks good on you. She would always reframe it like, wow, that that really compliments your style or, you know, you're mm. really looking, um, you look like, is, do you look like how you want to look today? Like she would always put it back for into mm. me, for me to answer it. Um, and I try to be that way with my daughter where I don't talk about like the sum of her parts of her body, um, that she looks great. She looks good, but I don't want to, um, make that a priority because they receive so many messages anyway about how they look, their bodies. They're totally. always thinking about it too. I want to put that squarely in like the compliments that I give her are not always physical. I think it's so helpful. Yeah, I remember yeah. being very aware that my mom didn't want me to focus too much on my body from being a really little girl when she would let me play with Barbies, but she didn't like Barbies. Mm -hmm. And she made it clear that it was because Barbies had this unrealistic body that made little girls have like all these strange and upsetting feelings about the way they looked. And I remember really absorbing that. Um, And I think that stuck with me so that even when I went through things that made me feel decidedly not beautiful, um, like struggling with acne, like well into my 20s, just a whole host of things. I always felt like, well, I'm going through this now, but underneath it all, like my my default is worthy and beautiful. And I'm just going through some things that make me feel temporarily not beautiful, which um, I think is, you know, I think that was very protective of the way she sort of like framed all of that for me. Absolutely. And you know, ultimately though, young women and boys, they receive their their mother's feelings about their own bodies and their own selves Mm -hmm. really play the biggest part. And so when I hear Mm -hmm. the letter writer talk about the anger and vitriol from her mother and even the physical abuse, it makes me so sad because I know that her mother must have been in so much pain. That was a reflection of her own insecurities, but it's hard to feel that when Mm -hmm. you're a young person and that's where counseling comes in, where perhaps she can come to a place where she understands that it wasn't about her, even though she internalized those feelings. Right. I would say that, um, she says in the letter that the therapists say about your, it's about your mom and you're like, no, 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 it's not about my mom, but you also dedicated several lines of this letter to your mom. So be open to the idea that maybe there's still some healing to do there. There's Um, no homework. I guess to wrap up, you're not alone. And there's a lot of there's a lot of exciting things on the other side of this. And I think to get there is going to involve um, empathy for yourself, not judging yourself for where you are now, and hopefully finding some role models who you can look to who already have it figured out. Because again, you're not not the first and you won't be the last. Yes. Welcome to middle age. It's a beautiful place. <laughs> You'll learn to appreciate it. <laughs> Do I count as middle age? I'm 41. I haven't claimed it yet, but you're making me want to. (laughs) Yes, you're almost there. I don't even know what the cutoff is. Well, welcome. Me too, then. Yes. You're listening to Dear Prudence. And when we come back, more letters from you and hopefully some helpful advice. Stay tuned. One in five Americans have learn a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, 
Make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. I've found it really easy to learn things like ordering food and all the little things that you have to do when you're traveling that if you get them wrong, you end up feeling really awkward and embarrassed and like a horrible tourist. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash prudy. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash prudy, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash prudy. Rules and restrictions may apply. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash prudyplus. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Tanya, to answer your letters. Okay, Tanya, it's time for another question. Ready? Yes, let's do it. This letter is titled, My Wife's Frenemy. My wife, Tara, has known Natalie since high school. They don't really share many interests, and I feel Natalie makes a lot of backhanded comments toward my wife. But Tara feels grateful to her because Natalie was her only friend in high school. Natalie loves pranks and always needs to be in the spotlight. She always has a taller tale, a crazier ex, etc. She moped our entire wedding because she wasn't allowed to wear a trailing, pastel, almost white evening gown instead of the classy black cocktail dresses the other bridesmaids wore. She got arrested for buying party drugs and brags about it like it's cool. We're all in our mid-30s. I don't like her, but until last month, I was cordial with her because she means so much to Tara. At our monthly dinner potluck, our friend Rita was telling the group she was moving for several months to help her mom through chemo. We were coordinating how to support her family with pet and garden care or helping her husband with driving around the kids when Natalie decided it was time to lighten the mood by doing her favorite party trick, a splits routine. Rita looked offended. Natalie tried to move the coffee table and spilled a beer on the carpet. I said, no one wants to see you showboating right now. The paper towels are under the sink. And Natalie blew up at me and left in tears, ending the evening. Tara and I had a huge argument later, during which Tara said that Natalie may have histrionic personality disorder, and she can't help her inappropriate behavior, and I should apologize. 
I said that Natalie's supposed mental illness is not an excuse to act selfish, that she's a real-life mean girl who constantly puts people down, and that she's an attention whore. I know I could have dealt with this better and phrased my thoughts better. Now, Natalie is refusing to be around me and making vague posts about the situation on social media. Our next potluck is coming up, and Tara is insisting I apologize. I think if Natalie wants to stay away from me, that's just fine. How can I get Tara to understand that her friend is not a friend at all? She disappeared for months after Tara had a miscarriage, but expects Tara to pick her up when she's drunk at 1 a.m. on a Tuesday. I'm stuck on the splits routine. (laughs) I know, right? I'm envisioning it and everything. I'm like there. Yeah. Like doing the splits, getting back up, doing the splits a different way, getting back up. Getting back down. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny to me. Um, but this is serious. It sounds really hard. Tanya, um, your lovely husband, Rico, was helping you out with some tech stuff before we got started recording today. Yeah. What would you do if he had a friend like this who you thought was really horrible? <sighs> oh, my gosh. See, I was really hoping to hear from you first on this one because um, here are my thoughts about it. Number one, oh my gosh, it kind of comes back to middle age in a way. Like this sounds very much like a scenario that we've all been in in some way. Mm -hmm. We all have had a friend who's kind of dysregulated in some way. And um, when spouses come into the picture, they can often see things you don't see or they, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you get older, the antics of your younger self don't fly anymore. We're like, okay, come on now. Why are you still acting like that? But could it be that his wife is more of a friend to Natalie than Natalie is to her because Mm -hmm. Natalie needs it? And I would love to know more about what his wife, how his wife feels, because he has really laid out how he feels. He sees all these things and his wife is just kind of like, hey, she's got this sort of disorder. Hey, I've known her since high school. Maybe Maybe the agreement, the nonverbal agreement is that she is more of a friend to this woman than this woman is to her. And she has her around because she cares about her because she is dysregulated in this way. Also, though, friendships like this over time, they are in their mid 30s. But I have seen in my personal experience, um, these types of friendships fade out after once life happens, once folks uh, start to have families or get caught up in work. And so oftentimes they may just fade out on its own and um, there's nothing to actually do. I noticed that Natalie was a friend from high school. Yep. And I think there's something about those high school friends who are there during these really formative and important and exciting years for us where they start to feel almost like family. Yeah. And yep. so you don't hold them to the standards that you would a new friend. They're yeah. just a person who's in yeah. your life, like this other layer of your life right outside of family. And they're always going to be there. And mm-hmm. they've always been the way they are. Mm-hmm. And you don't expect for them to change. That's exactly it. Those friendships from your formative years, they do become like second family. And so, right, if it's your cousin or your auntie, there's not some sort of ultimatum like you need to stop connecting with them or they need to change. It's kind of like, okay, we just need to manage that. Exactly. Sometimes there's an event or there is just time where other priorities Mm -hmm. take precedence. And then from that point, it's not something you have to deal with. It deals with itself. Yeah. You have to sometimes let it run its course. Like I do think the lesson is 
you, it's sort of like I'm always telling people when um, their friend is in a bad relationship, a bad romantic relationship, you can't just lecture them into ending it. It might just be what the person needs to go through at that particular point in their life to learn whatever lesson they need to learn. And it's very hard to watch. It's very unpleasant to watch someone you love be mistreated or suffer, but no one has ever broken up with a boyfriend or girlfriend because their friends were like, hey, this person's an asshole, break up. And I doubt most people have given up a friend because their spouse says, I don't like this person, they don't treat you well. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think it's something that has to happen organically. My initial advice, I stand by it because I actually have a friend who's similar to that in that um, they suffer from a mental illness and I care about them tremendously. And so I understand that they won't always be the level of friend um, that I am to them. Oh, so speaking of that, so this person might have histrionic personality disorder, the letter writer said. Um, I had to look that up. It is a mental health condition marked by unstable emotions, a distorted self-image, and an overwhelming desire to be noticed. People with HPD often behave dramatically or inappropriately to get attention. Mm -hmm. Um, So first of all, letter writer, what do you mean she may have it? Does that mean a psychiatrist is like evaluating her file right now or just you... (laughs) You think or did she Tara look it. it up and be like, this sounds like her? Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with my friend? She's horrible to be around. Um, I do think it raises a larger question of what's your obligation to keep someone in your life, whether a romantic partner or a friend, when it's a mental illness that is not their fault, that's making mm-hmm. them behave in a certain way. And I actually get a lot of letters that touch on that. And I don't have kind of go-to response, except for that you can only do what you can put up with. And here, it's the letter writer's wife who has to make that decision, not him. This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. Okay, this is our last question for today. This letter is titled, Respectfully, Toking in Tacoma. I am a medical cannabis user. I think I need to disclose this to my in-laws when I visit over the holidays, and I have no idea how to do this without creating drama. I'm young, in my 20s, and I'm not visibly disabled. I use cannabis daily for symptom management. My partner is of similar age and sober. He used to struggle with alcoholism, which has resulted in a lot of trauma and mistrust around communicating about substance in his family. Now that I use cannabis daily for pain management, I want to be upfront with my partner's family and let them know that I will have cannabis in their home, which is fully legal in our respective states. I do not want to see distrust by hiding drugs from their family or make them doubt my partner's hard-won sobriety. Do you have any suggestions for how to inform them of my cannabis usage without causing too much of a stir? So this is just such an interesting question Um, at a moment when some people still think of marijuana as like scandalous and a drug and addictive. And at the same time, so many other people just see it as something you do for your health. Mm-hmm. Or like a little something like a glass of wine that you do to just kind of relax every day. Um, and there's a huge tension between those two things, especially when you throw in 
the issue of addiction looming around alcohol. Um, I think this is very tricky. My most simple advice would be ask your partner what he thinks you two should say. Um, I don't recommend ever going to in-laws without sort of the middleman of the person who was raised by them, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think he would probably have the best idea about the tactics to raise yeah. this. What do you think? Well, first of all, I mean, we won't have an answer to this, but is, she, is this letter writer talking about smoking cannabis? Mm. Because, okay, well, that's not acceptable anywhere in anyone's house. You wouldn't smoke cigarettes. You wouldn't smoke marijuana. You wouldn't do a vape. You wouldn't be doing that Such in someone's point. house. Okay, number one. Right. If it is uh, like something else, like gummies or something like that, why do they need to know? If this is plant That's medicine. That's so funny, Tanya. In my notes, I have written down, just bring edibles so you don't have to worry about the smell of smoke. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> right, exactly. These are plant medicines. This person is using them for the purposes of healing. You wouldn't declare to someone that you're taking high blood pressure medicine, would you? You wouldn't declare any other types of medicine. But I do agree with going through the middleman. I love that, right? You don't go just straight to your in-laws. You go through the middleman. How does your spouse right. feel about this? Um, it's interesting, but I don't feel like this person needs to disclose it at all. I don't think so either. Um, if for some reason it's causing stress to keep it a secret or if they just want um, that openness with their family, some people just hate to keep a secret. I think a good script to use um, if the partner agreed would simply be, you know, I I love starting with the intentions they've stated in the letter. So I don't want to cause you to distrust me and I would never want you to question um, your son's sobriety. So I'm just telling you that I'm using this and I, I didn't want to have this secret looming over me in your house. Um, it's not a big deal. It's safe. Here's why I'm doing it. I just wanted to be open about it. Do you have any questions? It's a wonderful script. And also, I mean, attitudes are changing in such a profound way. I would actually say within my family, I would have felt that way that, you know, I'm going um, to my relatives on the East Coast. We need to be really careful about this because I am an advocate for cannabis use, not even for medical use, but just to chill. Like you said, a glass of wine. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. They're plant medicines. Um, but you know what I discovered is everybody's doing it. I mean, everybody, oh, totally. you don't even know your in-laws might be, <laughs> might be taking a pop and a little edible at the end of the day. <laughs> they totally might be like, oh, do you have any extra? Could I right. have half a gummy? Exactly. Exactly. And as you said, it's part of the discourse in a way that it allows, you know, it's not something that is taboo. People are talking about it. There's lots of, you know, news reports about it. So they have something that they can... Um, used to springboard off of for the conversation. Yeah, and I think especially in a situation where addiction has been an issue, um, transparency might be the best bet here, mm -hmm. just because secrecy and lies and shame sort of go hand in hand with addiction. Mm -hmm. And I can understand the letter writer not wanting to bring any of that to the table yeah. um, and just, you know, changing the family discourse about it by being open with it and unashamed. Janae, do you think there's a length of time? Like if you're just going for a visit for the weekend, do you really need to? I'm still on this, like you don't have to tell. I mean, if you're going to be there for weeks, of course, then there there might be a reason. I mean, I guess the situation we're trying to avoid is you have your little tin of gummies out on the bathroom counter and the mom goes in to replace the paper towels or toilet paper 
she sees mm. them and she's like, oh my God, my son mm-hmm. is like, you know, he's gone down this dark hole again. His partner is a bad influence. Yeah. What are we going to do? And then it becomes a whole thing. Yeah. Um, and, and you also want to avoid the fear of that situation causing you to be like, oh my God, is my purse open? Can they see in there? Can they smell anything on my breath? Because, you know, the chocolate ones like still do have a little bit of a scent. Um, yeah. So I can see, I totally relate to the idea of just like wanting to have a totally clear conscience and not having anything in the back of your head that you're worried about. So I think that would be the reason for telling, not because there's like an obligation. Okay. That's a, that's good advice. You're right. I just say like, yeah. no, don't even say anything. But <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. yeah. I mean, my first note was just like, bring out a bowls, eat them, carry on with your day. Um, but if you feel like you need to say something, say it with confidence. Don't say it like you're talking about doing heroin in the bathroom, you know, <laughs> right, say right. it for what it is, which is you're using this for medicine and it helps you to get through the day and feel better. And it's totally legal in their mm-hmm. state, in your state, and you're going to be doing it. And it's just an FYI because of the sensitivity. And so you're telling them in an abundance of caution about, um, you know, their feelings around substances. And it's, it's not asking, it's telling. Okay, those are all the questions we have for this week. I really hope we've been helpful. Um, Tanya, you brought everything I hoped you would to this session. Your wisdom, your warmth, and your woo-woo-ness. Oh my gosh, what a dream. I could go on forever. This has been such a pleasure. Go listen to Tanya on Webby Award-winning podcast, Truth Be Told. She explores what it means to grow and thrive as a Black person in America while discovering new ways of being that serve as a portal to more love, more healing, and more joy. Season five debuts April 13th. Stay tuned. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday. And you can also join us for Dear Prudy live chat on Mondays at noon Eastern. If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their question for the show. And you can stay anonymous. Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. I'm your Dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.